Man, good morning. Man, I hope you get this morning. It's not hype. Amen? It ain't hype this morning. I'm not trying to get you pumped about something that's not worth getting pumped about. I just want you to know that. I just believe, I don't know why, but I just believe that, man, today Jesus is great. Not six years ago, Jesus is great, or when I was 11 and I got saved, Jesus is great. But I believe today, Jesus is great. And you know what? I believe tomorrow, he's going to be greater. Not because he's got more power, but because I see more. See, the truth of it is, when I got saved when I was 11 years old, I knew very little about the Bible. I knew very little about Jesus, but I knew enough because I knew that, man, he had come, right? And he had died, and that he had been buried, and he had been rose again, and all that happened to obliterate my sin and to make me alive. And that's all I knew. That's all I got, and that was enough. But I just want you to know today, however many years later, it's a lot. As I'm standing here, I know a little more, and I'm a little farther. So excuse me if you don't understand why I'm excited, (laughs) and excuse me if you don't understand what's going on, but I just want you to know, man, today I believe Jesus is great, and I believe that tomorrow is when the great days are going to come, and the next day after that is when the great days are going to come. Man, it was a beautiful moment when I was rescued from the grave when I was 11 years old, but today I'm still alive. And Satan still has no hold on me. And tomorrow, you know what? I know enough about God to know there's no chains coming out of the closet from Satan tomorrow or the next day or the next day and the next day that Jesus doesn't have the key to. Because in Revelation, it says that, man, the one who is at the beginning and the one who is at the end, the one who's for all time has the keys to death, hell, and the grave in his hands. And that's the guy that I'm worshiping today. I don't know who you're worshiping. That's who I'm worshiping, and that's a little bit worth getting excited about. I just want you to know. So I'm not ashamed, right? I'm not ashamed. Um, So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 28, and I'm so excited about this. I know some of you heard Matthew 28, and you're like, oh, I already know where he's going. That's great, and you're going to tune out, and that's cool. You tune out, but some of us are going to get it this morning. And some of us are going to leave this place and we're going to see God change the world because two or three or five or seven or 12 or 20 all decided, man, this is the morning that I'm going to listen to what God has to say. So I'm not looking for everybody. I'm looking for somebody, right? Anybody to jump on board with me because I know God changed the world with 11 guys and he can do it again. Amen. He doesn't need 600. If 600 are going to be lazy, he doesn't need 600. He'll take 11. Right? So this morning, I'm just so excited about what God's going to say in Matthew 28. We started a new series last week called What Now? I know for some of you, are like, man, that's not really a series title. That's more of a question. And if you finish that whole thing, I can get on board. But I don't know about just the words what now. That's not really a series thing. But what I believe is, man, that is something that would have been asked in abundance at this point in time in the story. Right? We had just seen, we're coming out of a season where we celebrate, and the disciples had just seen, man, this guy that they'd followed for three and a half years, right? This guy who they'd seen perform miracle after miracle, the guy who they'd seen, by the way, speak to a man who had never walked before and say, get up. He didn't have to do no CPR. He didn't have to come through and splint no legs. He said, get up, and this guy who'd never walked before got up. He didn't have to teach him classes. Like, he just stood up, and he walked. That's a pretty amazing thing. Still believable today, actually, that he can still do that. I believe that. They'd seen Jesus take just some guy who'd never seen before, rub a little spit in a little dirt, rub it on his eyes, and then for the first time, like, light came flying into these things that didn't used to work. They'd seen that. And then they'd seen that same Jesus who who has so much power to God, they had professed to be Messiah, Savior, right? They'd seen him crucified. 
doesn't even seem to make sense still, does it? What? If you've been around church maybe too long, maybe, maybe the, the little receptors that get that part of your brain are fried and you don't see how like, amazing that is. But hold on, wait, the Savior of the world, right? We rewind. A guy who had looked at people who'd never walked before. This is the power in that guy. Looked at people who'd never walked before and said, get up, and they did it, right? Well, that's a great idea. I think I will. Spoke to people who'd never seen before, just kind of rubbed their eyes a little bit, and he's like, hey, you can see now. And they're like, man, that's amazing. I can. <laughs> a guy who'd walked up to grave after grave, funeral after funeral, and spoke into the darkness and said, hey, you can come up out of that grave. They'd seen that guy die. It still kind of is, wow, for me. If we read that in the newspaper today, Savior of the world dies on a cross, that'd be one of those hard-to-believe headlines, wouldn't it? They'd seen him die, beaten, beyond recognition, had things nailed into his body. I can't even imagine how painful that would be. Hung on a tree, on a cross, for hours and hours, and then... At the end of that whole thing, suffocate to death on his own blood, they'd seen that. They'd seen them take this man down, put him in a grave, and they thought, that's the end. This is the funeral. This is the moment. I didn't think we were getting to this moment. He was the Savior. He's the Messiah. I I don't know how you get to that moment from the Messiah, but here we are. They'd seen the stone rolled in front of the tomb. That's, That's the end. And then all of a sudden, right, Three days later, here comes Jesus walking through the walls into a room full of people who are scared to death. And he says, hey, peace to you. Uh, I'm back. That was cool, wasn't it? I died on the, you see me die on the cross? That was, that was, <laughs> that was intense there, wasn't it? They put, look at this, they put nails in here. You can still see through there. But here I am. And what would you be asking? What in the world just happened? Because I've never seen that before. I've never seen a guy who they crucified come back up out of that. That doesn't just happen every day. But here we are in a locked room, and here he is standing in the middle of us, very much alive. What now? What's that mean? Where are we going from here? Because, what, 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 see, here's the reality this morning, and it's a reality, man, that I pray every church in the world gets. Something changes the moment we see the resurrected Savior. Man, there's some stuff that happens when you see the dead Savior. I get that. There's some forgiveness that happens when you see a crucified Savior, right? But man, there's something way different that happens when you're standing in front of a resurrected, crucified Savior. So what now? And that's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. And we started that last week uh, with, with the story about how Thomas, right, was a, a kind of doubting guy. And this morning we're going we're gonna to look in Matthew 28 and we're going to see what Jesus has to say. Um, in Matthew 28, 16, it says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee. Now, I want to let you in on where this is in the timeline because... It seems to be confusing. The story isn't found in the other Gospels, and then the story of kind of him walking in the room isn't found in this Gospel. And maybe some of us look like that, and they're like, well, did it happen? Where did it happen? How did it go? Well, the story we read last week happened first, right? 
It was the Sunday night of the resurrection morning. This is several days after that. We know that it's at least eight days after that because Thomas, one of the 11, didn't see the resurrected Savior until eight days later. Right, so this is a, this is kind of a, a a little bit later in the story, at least eight days later in the story, and these disciples were traveling to Galilee because that's where Jesus said he would meet them. You, you see it kind of in some of the stories of the tomb. Go to go to the Galilee, go to Galilee, and here they go to Galilee, and it says they went to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Now this is a mountain they would have probably known pretty well because a lot of Jesus' ministry took place in Galilee. Some of these guys were even called out of Galilee, right? It's just a little area right outside of Jerusalem, about a day away from uh, the city there. And, and it says they traveled there to this mountain that Jesus had told them to go. And it said in 17, when they saw him, they worshiped. When they saw Jesus... They worship. Now, that seems like a really good thing to do when you see Jesus, right? Like when Jesus walks in the room, this guy who used to be dead and now he's alive, that's a pretty good moment to worship, right? I love the fact that it was outside, by the way, on a mountain, not in a room, huddled up like it was last time. Here they are, a group of people that used to be very afraid, kind of locked in a room, and just a few days later, already in the story of the resurrected Savior, they've moved outside of the locked doors and into the open, and they see Jesus, and there's no shame in this moment. They just worship him. Oh man, that sounds like a really good idea when you see a resurrected Savior. I'll just let you know, if I see Jesus walk in the room, a guy who was very dead and is now very alive, I'm going to worship. I think anybody, if Jesus walked up on the stage this morning and he's like, oh hey, here I am, we would probably all get behind that, right? So it's a pretty good idea when you come in contact with the resurrected Savior to go ahead and worship. And it says they all worshiped, all 11 guys. But here I think it's interesting, it says, but some doubted. They all worshipped, right? All 11 guys worshipped, but some of them, uh, who knows who, maybe it's still Thomas, maybe it's Bartholomew, who knows, maybe it's Peter, it's somebody, I don't know who, some of those guys doubted, even in their worship, right? Because they all worshipped, all 11 guys. Oh man, that's great, I love that, amazing, here's Jesus, oh cool, I'm going to raise my hands, oh here's Jesus, I'm going to fall down to my knees, but even in this moment, some of these guys doubted. And you, you look at that and you're like, what do you, what, what? hold on, wait, pause, what do you mean some doubted? Well, it mean exactly what it says that it means. Some of the 11 guys who were disciples who followed Jesus around for three and a half years, who gave up everything to follow Jesus, some of these guys doubted. Some of the disciples doubted. Some of the 11 who've seen miracle after miracle, who've seen the death of Jesus on a cross and now seen the resurrected Savior, some of these guys at least three times now, some of those still had a hard time getting their head around the fact that, yes, he was dead, but here he is, and he's alive. Now, I know some of us look at that and you're like, well, how does that even make sense, right? I'll just go out there with you. Um, it seems to not. These guys knew more about Jesus than anybody in this room. And even these guys, upon seeing the resurrected Savior, some of those guys, even though they were worshiping in the moment, um, some of them still doubted. And you're like, that doesn't really make sense. Well, can I just put us on the same level here? Uh, I think it kind of does. 
See, the truth of it is, man, if, if you saw what happened to Jesus, I know we kind of edit that and we try not to sing very many songs about the blood because it might like gross people out. We try to not talk about all the stuff that happened to Jesus on the cross. But like just a few days ago, what they had seen was Jesus beaten beyond the point of recognition. Right? I mean like stuff hanging out beyond the point of recognition. I mean like you could see bones beyond the point of recognition. Right? swollen, beaten, bruised, battered beyond the point of recognition. It wasn't a pretty thing, the crucifixion. I know Hollywood tries to make it look that way, and there's like a little sprinkle here and a little sprinkle here, and his, his little cloth thing didn't even get dirty. But like Jesus, man, he, he was beaten. And at the end of the beating, somehow he still got up to the top of the hill alive, right? And they laid him down on a cross, and then they put nails in his body. I don't think anybody's going to sign up to let me try that out on you this morning. They put nails through his flesh, and then they lean him up on this cross in front of the whole world. So the gravity of what was happening would be the thing that would eventually kill him. And they'd watched all this go down. They watched Jesus stop breathing. And then here, just a few days later, here he is, and he looks like Jesus again. Aside from he's got a couple holes that you can still see through. I don't know how that works. And, and this thing in his side. And if you had seen that happen to Jesus, <laughs> you ever had one of those things happen to you and you were like really tired and you're like, maybe that was a dream. I don't really know if that really happened. If you'd seen that happen, I don't really think it would matter if you'd seen him a couple times. It would still be hard to believe that he was resurrected. So here he is, standing in front of him, and some of these guys are like, man, that's the most amazing thing ever in the world. Somebody better pinch me really quick, because I need to make sure that I am awake and (laughs) in my sound mind, because I think he's here. But man, I just don't know. And you beat up on the disciples for that, but can I just say, man, I've been in the same boat, and I'm pretty sure maybe we have too. Maybe some of us this morning, we were like, it's your breath. And in our hearts, we're really thinking, man, I'm broken. Because, man, the moment something falls apart in our life, what happens to our brains? Man, it doesn't matter how many times we've seen the manifest presence of God in our life weeks or days ago. Some of us, man, we've had God rescue us, and then a couple weeks down the road, something else happens, and and we get into, man, I don't know, 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 and doubt creeps in, right? And fear creeps in, right? And I don't know creeps in, and maybe not this time creeps in, and I don't know if he's powerful enough for this one creeps in. And we start getting in that moment, and we're coming, right? And we're trying, and we're doing, and we're leaning, and we're, we're pressing, I mean, we just really don't know. And then here he is. He rescues us again, right? And then a couple of weeks later, here we go. And the cycle is rescue, doubt, rescue, doubt, rescue, doubt. And we will beat up on the disciples all day long. But, man, we get caught in that same pattern, right? Because the truth of it is, man, if you know Jesus, you have seen the resurrected Savior. You've seen the guy who's defeated death. I don't know what enemy you got, but death seems bigger to me than that. You've seen the guy who has all the power to speak to hell and be like, hey, I'm peace now, I'm leaving, and walk right out of that place, yet we doubt. You've seen the guy who was laying down dead, and he's like, I think I'll get up now, and he gets up and walks out of that alive, yet doubt creeps in. 
So we, we can maybe not, not maybe condemn the disciples for this, but maybe just realize, man, it's, it's a common thing. We're not alone in this. It's, it's a thing that happens time to time. And the disciples here doubted. They all worshiped, but some of them were like, man, I just don't know. And it says in 18, Jesus had a remedy for that. It says, then Jesus came near, right? Can I, can I just say, the remedy to doubt this morning is closeness. Oh, I, I don't know if he can do that. Well, you need to nudge on in there. Oh, I don't know if he can rescue me for this. Well, just kind of snuggle up there. Because you're going to notice after a while, maybe it's not the fact that Jesus is less powerful. Maybe it's the fact that you just got farther away. Because, see, here's the reality. Man, when Jesus is rescuing us, and we're feeling coming out of that, we want to get real close, don't we? Oh, man, that's great, man. My life's falling apart. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hope. I don't know if I'm going to believe, but I'm going to kind of get in. And then he rescues us, and we're like, oh, thanks. And we walk away. And then doubt and fear and, and worry and all this stuff. So Jesus, knowing the disciples here, he says, hey, well, let's not worry about this. Let's not worry about the doubt. I've got a remedy for the doubt. I'm going to step in. I'll step right into the doubt. I'll step right into the hopelessness. I'll step right into the fear. I'll step right into your worry. I'll get right in the middle of it because here's the thing. I'm not worried that you're going to find out that I'm a fraud because I am who I say I am. Jesus was counterfeit. If he was just kind of there hanging out, if he wasn't really the, the Savior, man, there's no way he would approach and he would get that close. But he's like, I'm not worried. He did the same thing he did with Thomas a couple days earlier, right? Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe if he doesn't let me stick my fingers in his nail holes. I won't believe. I don't believe anything you're saying. You're nuts. You're saying that he's resurrected. And Jesus is like, okay, cool. Put it there. I don't care. I don't care. You're not going to find out that I wasn't dead. Because I was. And you're not going to find out that I'm not resurrected because I am. You can come and investigate. You can come and draw close. I'm not afraid you're going to think I'm not powerful when you get in here. I'm not afraid you're going to think I'm not loving when you get in here. I'm not afraid you're going to think that I can't do it when you get in here. Come as close as you want to because I am everything I say that I am. So when the disciples doubt, Jesus gets close. Same pattern today. Man, see, the opportunity this morning is in our fear and in our hopelessness and in our worry and in our doubt. We don't have to stay away and be like, oh, I don't know if he can do it. I don't know if he can do it. We can get near and see that our God who was faithful yesterday is still faithful today. Our God who was living three weeks ago is still living today. Our God that was powerful a month ago is still powerful today. He hadn't lost any of that. You just walked away. Just come on in. So it says he approached, and when he got there, this is what he says, and this is kind of where we're going this morning. All that was for free. Um, he says this. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is the first thing Jesus says. I love this. Jesus doesn't walk up, and he's like, oh, thank you for worshiping me. That was great. Oh, thank you for showing up today. Thanks for coming into the house. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing your thing. Thanks for doing your part. I'm so impressed. I loved how you raised your hand this morning. Oh, you've got such a good voice. He didn't say any of that. He starts off the conversation with the reality of who he is, and he says, hey, I just want you to know, all authority has been given to me in heaven, up there, and on earth, down here. Man, what a powerful start to the conversation this morning. Jesus walks up to the disciples who had just seen him die, right, and just seen him buried, and just seen him resurrected, maybe seen him a couple times, and he kicks off the conversation like this. Oh, by the way, all authority has been given to me. Now, authority, uh, we kind of know what that is, but let me just give you a definition for it. It's power to make decisions, right? Power to make and to delegate. Jesus gets to decide, and he gets to tell. 
And he, he comes up to the disciples and he's like, oh, by the way, I have all the decision-making power in heaven and on earth. Here we go. That's amazing to me. Because Jesus here, who, who, who we just watched die, right? Who we just watched resurrected, now looks at us and uh, us, right? Them and us. And he says, oh, by the way, I want you to step into the reality of this moment with who I am. I know that I'm Brother Jesus, right? I know that I'm your best friend Jesus, right? And I know that I'm loving Jesus, right? And I know that I'm Savior Jesus, and I'm Healer Jesus, and I'm Protector Jesus, and I'm all those things. I'm all those things. I want you to know that I'm all those things. But I also am all the authority Jesus. You don't get to pick which Jesus I am. Like, I'm all the Jesuses today. But I'm also all authority Jesus. I have all the power to make decisions and all the power to delegate in heaven, up there, you're going there. I'm still going to be in charge. But also down here. Where are you at? Right? I think this is earth. Last time I checked, so what the globes are labeled. This is the planet that I'm on. And Jesus strolls up to these 11 guys. And he's like, hey, I want you to know something. I have all the authority I have all the decision-making power in heaven and on earth. That's how he starts the conversation. Can I, can I just say this morning, no matter where we are, that's how Jesus is starting this conversation with us this morning. Yeah. Oh, I will be brother Jesus. And I will be loving Jesus. And I will be protector Jesus. And I'll be provider Jesus. And I'll be healer Jesus. And I'll be all those Jesuses. But I just want you to know, I'm also all authority Jesus. When I died and I come up out of that grave, remember that verse we read earlier about how the Father gave him the name that is above every other name, right? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every single knee. You can do it today, you can do it years from now, but you're going to bow. And every tongue would confess that he is Lord. And he walks back into the story of the resurrection with that authority and that power. And he just starts it off. Let me make sure everybody hears me. I have all the authority this morning to make decisions for you and to tell you what to do. It's not based upon your opinion or your comfort level or what you think or how you feel. I'm going to let you know you're going to bow. You can bow today or you can bow tomorrow, but you're going to bow because I'm also, yes, loving Jesus, but I'm also all authority Jesus, and I got all the power, and I don't feel timid saying this. I brought you out to a mountain to shout it in front of the whole world. I want everybody on the planet to know everything's mine, and I get all the say here. So all authority, Jesus steps up into the room with the disciples, and he says, by the way, something amazing happened. I have been given from God all the authority in heaven and on earth. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. Not you. And then he says this, go therefore. <laughs> I got all the authority. Go therefore. I love the word therefore because that sucker is loaded in this chapter. <laughs> Sometimes we get like a little bit of a therefore. But man, this is a big therefore because everything God is about to say hinges on what he just said. Right. 
He stepped into the story with, I have all the authority. I get to make the decisions for you, and I get to tell you what to do. Here's how it's going to work. I'm the boss. I died. You can do that, but I also have been resurrected. You can't do that. And because of that, man, I get all the say. So therefore, because of that, because I'm authority Jesus, I'm all authority Jesus because I got all the power and all the say and all the right because it's all about what I need right now because it's all about me. Therefore, go. What he's saying here is not necessarily go, but as you are going. I love that he walked into a room a couple days ago and the disciples weren't going anywhere, right? Right? I'm going to stay in this room. Somebody better deliver some pizza because I'm not leaving this place. We've seen Jesus a couple times, and we're already messing around outside. We're like, oh, maybe it's not as scary. We're just going to tiptoe. We're not going to make much noise. We're just going to kind of going to come into the scene here. And Jesus steps down onto that mountain. He says, by the way, I have all the authority. So as you are going, see, it's assumed that we go, right? As a people, individually, it's assumed that we go. It's not enough to be part of a church that goes. Oh, somebody else can do the ministry. It's not enough. Amen? Oh, that's, uh, man, I, I contribute because I put a couple dollars in the plate. That's not enough, right? That's part of it because we're going to do ministry. It's assumed that we're doing it. And I'll just be honest, we haven't to the extent that we're going to, but we're going to. I'm tired of sitting and making excuses. Oh, it's a hard-to-reach community because we're filled with no, no subdivisions and there's no central meeting place. Yeah, it is, and Jesus put us here, and there's a reason he put us here, so we're going to go. Yeah. Assume that we are. But it doesn't negate our personal responsibility to also go. It's not the church's sole responsibility to go and engage the world. Oh, we'll huddle up in our big group and we'll mother hen this thing out here in the parking lot because we're not going to go farther past the parking lot. We'll just get everybody to the parking lot. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, as you're going. And what he means is, hey, by the way, as you leave here today, right, I brought you to this mountain because you can't stay on the mountain. You're going to get rained on. I brought you to this building because you can't live here. Like, sorry, love you, can't live here. It's going to get boring. Somebody's going to if you clean up, you can, I guess you can live here. <laughs> But as you are going, as you are leaving this place, I just want you to know I have a mission for you. It's a different kind to go. Because I have all the authority. As you are going, this is what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Word literally meaning followers of Jesus. Of all nations. That's a little more than bring your kids to church. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. This is what Jesus says. All authority Jesus walks in the room. And he says, hey, I just want you to know I have the right to tell you this doesn't matter how you feel about it. In this moment, Jesus delivers what we know as the Great Commission, right? Not the only time, by the way, Jesus says, go make disciples. One of the times. 
but, but, but nevertheless, something we call the Great Commission. Not the Great Suggestion. <laughs> or the Great, if you're comfortable with it, Calling. Or the great, if you're talented enough, calling. Or the great, if you go to seminary, calling. But the great commission. Here's the orders, is what he's saying. Here's the marching orders. I have all the authority. Here's what I'm doing with it. Go, or as you are going, make disciples. Can I, can I just say, this is not a call to a body of 11 guys. This is a call to 11 individuals who, yes, maybe corporately do make disciples, but individually, these 11 guys are going to split off and go all over the world. Some are going to go to Turkey. Some are going to go to India. Some are going to go north up into Rome. Some are going to go down south into Africa. Eleven guys are going to split off. Yes, it used to be really comfortable, and we used to huddle together in that house, and we sang songs about Jesus, and we, you know, we like read some stuff about Jesus, and yes, we prayed, but now we have marching orders from the God of all authority. And yes, maybe as the eleven, we're going to go and do ministry. The first ministry that's done in Acts 2, they do as a group, right? But they realize in this moment it doesn't negate their personal responsibility. And he says, go make disciples of all nations. Yes, the one you're standing in, but also the others. That's step one. Step one is to make disciples. Not make people come to church, although that is probably part of it. Not make people um, say some prayer, although that's maybe part of it, but make followers of Jesus, real followers of Jesus, not fake little people, convert thingies, but real followers of Jesus. And then it says, after you've made a follower, here's how it works, you go make a follower. After you make a follower, you're going to baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I love that he says this because here's what we're not doing. We're not making followers of Brad. Oh, I love... Brad, so I'm going to just come do his thing. Making followers of Jesus. And when they go down in that water and we say over them, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we're saying is they're not my convert. They're not following my teachings. They're following the teachings of Jesus. They're following him. See, the truth of it is I can't get anybody to heaven. I can show you how I'm getting there, but I can't get you there. So it's not about, right, your ability. It's not about your talent, and it's not about your saving power. It's all about his. So when he saves them, we say, hey, we didn't really have much to do with that other than the fact that we just told the story of the resurrected Savior. So in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, dunk, right? And in that moment, they're saying to the whole world, this is why baptism is important, by the way. It's also a command. So if you haven't done this, it's a command. It says so in the Bible. This is part of it, right? Disciples, step one. Baptism, step two, dunk. Because when we do that, what we're saying is, man, the old me is dead. He's been buried. He's been put in the grave. And then the new me, just like Jesus come up out of the grave, is coming up out of the grave. And we're saying to the whole world, man, it's not about what I've done. It's all about what he's done. I'm just following the pattern. So he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. And then it says, here's step three, teaching them everything I've commanded you. Not one thing I've commanded you. Come to church. 
not some stuff that I made up that you didn't really command me, but I kind of like it and it makes sense. Like, hey, button up that shirt or, hey, make sure your skirt's long enough or, hey, make sure you got the right shoes on or, hey, make sure you got the right earrings because that stuff's not really in there. Okay, that's a secondary issue. If the first issue is taken care of, the secondary issue should figure itself out, actually. Right? Amen. You comfortable with that? Yes? I don't care if you are or not. It's not in there. You can teach them whatever you want to, but I'd rather teach them what Jesus says. Because I'm not making disciples for me, I'm making disciples for him. And he says, teaching them everything I've commanded you, by the way, which also includes what he just said. See, it's a replication process. Jesus never intended for 11 people to just kind of, as they have children, continue to expand this thing. And hopefully we'll just populate the planet with Christians because we're just going to reach our family. But that's what church has turned into. Church is more of a breeding program for Christians than it actually is what it was meant to be. Amen? I know it sounds funny, and I'm kind of joking, but I'm also kind of telling the truth. Because what we do is we start a church with one family or two families, and then, you know, we just kind of grow our families. But we never reach out there. And see, that's not the command. The command is, as you are going make disciples then we're going to baptize them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and then you're going to teach them to do the same thing so 11 people can turn into more than 11 people which can turn into more than 11 people because the goal is here's what i think that the whole world gets a shot the whole world is not going to get saved true story amen uh, it's true. Some of that is because we're not going to do our job. Amen. I don't know how many people were standing near enough to hear on this hill. I know of 11 people that did what he said. And some of that is because, man, the church has missed, right? Years and years and years of opportunity. How, how, how many opportunities have we missed since we've been here? People die every day, right? Maybe nobody you know dies every day, but people die every day. See, the reality is we all have an expiration date. It's not stamped on us. We all have one. And all authority, Jesus, who loves all the people, right, and who died for all the people, right, steps down to these 11 guys, and he says, I have a serious, serious, serious mission for you. Because I'm leaving, right? After Jesus says this, just a few days after this, maybe even that day, Jesus like ascends to heaven. In Acts chapter 1, he leaves. And his plan for the world doesn't involve him coming back every couple years and checking up, right? Oh, I'm going to go on a great evangelistic mission to earth, Father, and just coming back down here. But his plan for the world is that the church, the people he encountered first, right, will now duplicate the process and show him to the world. There is no plan B. The church is plan A, the only plan. There is no plan B. Jesus didn't set in motion a backup plan. 
There's no like fail safe if we don't do our job. See, the reality of the mission is we go and people know him or we don't and they don't. Amen. That's the reality of the mission. I'm going to say it again because, man, I don't really think we get what Jesus has placed in our hands this morning. The reality of the mission is either A, we go and people know him, or B, we don't and people don't, and they die and they go to hell because we would not engage with all authority Jesus. Ow. See, the reality of it is we can continue to come and sit in our bubble and talk about loving Jesus. And he'll show up here for a while. For a couple years maybe, he'll show up here. But if we don't engage the whole of Jesus, we might as well close the door and put a sign on the outside saying, open for rent. Because we're on the way already to death without all authority Jesus. Amen? We're not going to outbreed the need. It's not going to happen. So Jesus walks up to these guys and he's like starting out the conversation with, by the way, I have all authority in heaven and on earth because they're going to need to know as they leave this place, this is not a request it's a command. And into that moment of the command, he says, by the way, as you're going, I have a job. You're going to leave this place, and you're going to make disciples of all the nations. You're gonna, you, you don't get to stay in your comfort spot. You're going to go everywhere. You're going to make disciples of all the nations, and you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you're going to teach them everything I've commanded you so they can do the same thing. Aren't you glad the response from the disciples wasn't? I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Think about it. What if Peter had been like, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know enough yet. What, what if it would have been, that's not my calling. That's not what, that's not what you've called me to. That's not, that's not my thing. That's not my gig. That's not my game. I can't do that. All 11 walked away from it. Where would you be? Dead and on your way to hell. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. How uncomfortable would it be, right? To be in hell separated from God forever. See, it's not the great request, right? It's the great commission from all authority, Jesus. And I get that it's a scary thing. And I get that most of us aren't good at it. You know why we're not good at it? Because we've not seen it replicated. Because somewhere along the line, church has decided it's not all authority Jesus we're going to talk about anymore. And somewhere along the line, they decided we're not going to disciple people anymore. We're not going to teach them anymore. We're going to come, we're going to sing songs, somebody's going to preach, then they're going to leave, and nothing's going to change during the week. But can I just introduce us this morning yet again to all authority Jesus who says it's not going to be that way anymore. I died and I'm resurrected and I'm standing here and I just want you to know it's not really a request. It's a command that I'm giving you here because it's that serious. I'm in heaven. 
And, and I'm not just beaming gospel stories down into people's heads like they're either going to hear it from you or they're not going to hear it. Subway girl, she's either going to hear it from you or she's not going to hear it. But I live in the Bible Belt. It's less and less every day. 85% of the people in Knoxville don't go to church on a regular basis. Who are they going to hear it from? Walmart? Cashier person? Who are they going to hear it from? Uncle? Bob? Who's he going to hear it from? If not you, then who? So Jesus steps down in the room and he's like, by the way, serious mission here for you guys. I am leaving. And I have one thing for you to do. All authority of Jesus. One thing for you to do. Go make disciples. Baptize them people. Teach them to do the same. Because man, this is a big work I'm inviting you into. And it may be scary. And it may be crazy. But Jesus didn't leave it there. He said, oh by the way, I know that that sounds crazy. But I'm going to be with you. His words. Always. Even to the end of the age. I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. But man, I don't know enough Bible verses. It's not about your Bible verses. Do you know the resurrected Jesus? Do you know what happened to you? Can you put into words, I, I was lost, but now I'm found? They even write songs to help us out, right? <laughs> I was dead. But now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. I was lame, but now I can walk. I, I, man, I, I was in the ground in a hole, and Jesus spoke into my cave, and I come up out of that. That's a story worth telling. I had no ability to see the things of like spiritual nature. I was depressed, and I was hopeless, and life was coming against me, and then Jesus showed up. And he opened my eyes, and now I see, there's, man, there's better days. And Jesus steps down into that, and he's like, hey, I know it's hard. I know there's a million excuses why you can't do it. And I know that, that, man, not all of us know everything theologically about this, but I just want you to know people who don't believe Jesus don't believe the Bible anyway, so it's not really a big deal. But, man, if you know what happened to you, Peter, isn't that an awesome story how you walked on water? Why don't you go tell people that? Go, go, go tell people that. Thomas, isn't that an awesome story about how just a couple days ago you didn't even believe that I was alive and then I let you put your finger through my nail-scarred hands? Go tell people that. Brother, sister, don't you remember when, man, life was hopeless and it was falling apart and you were caught up in all these things, but now you're free from that? Go tell people about that. You remember when you were addicted to blank and now you're free from blank? Well, go find people who are addicted to blank and tell them there's hope in Jesus' name. You got a story. I don't care about your theology. Go make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. Because I'm with you. Maybe the reason the church doesn't see that more, maybe the reason there's churches all over North America and the world dying today is because we left out all authority Jesus and he left us. We want to see the power of God move in this place and move in our lives. Well, then let's take up the command. 
Let's do something. Let's do something. And this is not me asking. This is Jesus telling. And it doesn't matter how comfortable we are with it. Let's pray.